Hello and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. I'm Justin Tremini, a reference librarian. And I'm Jerry DeArman, the assistant head of circulation. We're continuing our discussion of the library book by Susan Orlean as part of Andover's 2021 Community Read. You can find more info on our website, mhl.org. This episode uh, will be our final discussing the library book, chapters 28 to 32, which is the final chapter in the book. So where do we want to start? I guess um, now is probably a good time uh, to sort of just assess like maybe everybody's feelings on the book as a whole, right? Yeah. That would come to the end of it. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, this was my second reading. Mm -hmm. um, Mine too. I, same right? here. <laughs> yeah. And did everybody else read it when it first came out like a few yeah. years back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it again. I think in the same way that I enjoyed it the first time, I, I like the sort of, I know last time Stephanie and I did an episode, we were talking about the sort of different little bifurcating paths that sort of lead into um, all these different stories that kind of come to some what of a conclusion by the end of the book. Yeah. Um, right. For me, it brought up that imagery of like the Los Angeles County Library having all these different entrances that ultimately lead to to uh, you know the center of the building, and that's kind of like the the way that the book, sort of the structure of the book in in some way as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that idea. I liked that idea a lot that the book is almost constructed like the library. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like we, she kind of gets at that idea a little bit in the last chapter too, which was more about, I mean, obviously sort of the wrap up mm -hmm. um, and sort of philosophical, but, you know, she's talking about what, what is sort of the significance of libraries, like of the fact that they collect books, um, you know, that was, at least that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, mm -hmm. That was kind of the closing thought it left me with is like, you know, she's in the library at the end of the day. There's some, you know, there are still people lingering, each doing their own, each doing their own thing. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, like, what does it really mean to, you know, to have this public space that's, that's open, that allows people to take all of these different paths? Um, of course, that's different from how libraries are now, but uh, because of the pandemic but mm. right completely different it's interesting wow. I'm, I'm just noticing structurally like the very on page three like so that the book starts with harry peak yeah um, but then by page three she's talking about the library opening at 10 a.m and then the very last thing in the book is the security guard calling mm. out the back of the library's closing so again that idea that like the entire the entirety of the, the library is enclosed in the book. And even like to the title of like the library book, it's not a library book or a library story or whatever. It's it's like the book itself is the library, which I just think is a really neat way to, to kind of pull the whole thing together. Yeah. Yeah, I had not thought of that, mm -hmm. uh, but I like it. It's almost like one very long day in the, in the library. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of quotes in there too, um, about libraries and what libraries are. You know, they said that like, um, it's like home, but when you're not at home, mm. um, was one of the uh, quotes that somebody had said. And then um, uh, somebody, let's see. Um, 
it was um, Roy Stone who said the role libraries play to be a government entity, a place of knowledge that is non-judgmental, inclusive, and fundamentally kind. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I feel yeah. like I feel like that's also kind of works well with the book, especially specifically like we don't get a judgment on Harry Peak in the mm -hmm. end. Right. You know, Orlean refuses to to go there. Um you know, she I think she says in one of these, maybe in chapter twenty nine or thirty one here, she says, you know, she doesn't really think it's him, but she can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. Um which I wanted an answer, but I I agree. I don't think there is a clear answer, so I'm I'm satisfied with the fact that she doesn't give one. But yeah, I mean, they 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 kept saying that there really wasn't the evidence, even though he kept changing his story. Right. Um, he didn't have the um, um, personality of an arsonist, you know, um, because usually they're just. Uh, fantasize about fire, you know, right. starting when they were younger and and everything, and and he just didn't have that. Um, and plus, his story, but yet his story changed all the time. But it, but he kept making it bigger and bigger and more glamorous as it went. You know, yeah. each time he told it, so you weren't, you know, he was also pegged as a liar. So, you know, you don't really know. Um, yeah, you don't really know exactly what to think of him because, I mean, like even people who liked him described him as flaky, but, mm -hmm. you know, being flaky does not mean that you committed arson. Right, right. Um, it's interesting, too, towards the end of the book where she starts to make the case for the fact that, you know, what we know and understand about fires starting and fires happening has mm -hmm. changed fundamentally so much since then that it's it's very possible again that idea that this building was almost like designed to be an inferno yeah <laughs> in some ways and that it's just so possible what we understand now versus what we knew back then um that it could have just been a spontaneous fire um and i do like that she kind of she's talking about the fact that the city eventually once it came out that he was dying from from hiv that the city would have felt it would have seemed cruel to just like sue this man up until the last right of his life you know and more expensive and everything mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways it almost feels like she's kind of doing that too with the book of just you know like, like stephanie like you said like this non-judgmental way of like we'll never truly know um but we shouldn't condemn this person right because ultimately we can't know yeah yeah, I, I was wondering why, what you guys were thinking of the fact specifically that the city decided to drop the suit, whether it, whether it was sort of a compassionate thing or uh, whether it was purely financial, because like they said, they, I mean, they settled for way less than he was asking for, mm -hmm. um, you know, something like $35,000 versus, right? oh gosh, I forget the number, but I feel like it was something absurd, like 3 million. I no, mean, I think it was like 15 million, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, even yeah. even more. Yeah. Um, you know, and and she notes that that was less expensive than continuing the continuing the suits and the counter suits and. But yeah, he was also very sick. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it was compassion, or maybe they just felt like you know it wouldn't look good. But 
And also just like that they didn't have the evidence, you know, right. and, and like in right. a civil case, you don't need to have as much, you know, you don't, the burden of proof right. isn't as much there, but nonetheless, like, I mean, she even points out that for a city settlement, $35,000 is low regardless of what it is yeah. they're settling for. So the fact that they could just pay him off on that, like, yeah, it probably, it was probably a financially motivated decision in addition to hopefully some kind of sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If they're being really sympathetic, they probably could have cost up a little more cash, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I get it. Cities are strapped for cash. I mean, you yeah. know, that's even in the best even in the best funded, wealthiest places, there's never enough. So mm -hmm. Right. Um I I was glad that to kind of wrap up his story. I mean, I wasn't glad that he died, but it makes for a very tidy end from a narrative perspective, like, you know, <laughs> and then he died and like, we'll never know because he can't tell us. And like, this is what happened to him. It's, it has a sort of right. storybook quality to it in that regard. Um, yeah. You know, it, it sort of, it resolves the story without actually resolving the story. I felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how many people, think that he's guilty yeah you know if anybody thinks that they're guilty and I like to hear from any of our patrons that think that he's guilty and why mm. um, yeah I mean I don't I don't I I don't think he is mm. yeah yeah it's interesting like I feel like early in the book when when you know there's all those kind of eyewitness testimonials to somebody who looked kind of like him being in places where like they sort of didn't belong in the building it, it yeah. did make you think like it was leading up to like oh it was definitely this guy yeah and then, but then as it progresses you know it definitely feels like that's a person who is seeking some kind of attention that's a person who liked to conflate stories well that's that's what he sounds like he's just he was an attention getter right. you know he was a a, a wannabe actor mm -hmm. you know so he's always looking for that angle Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or something to get, you know, him recognized or, you know. Yeah, this could have been some kind of notoriety. I like, I don't think one's going to build a successful acting career off of, you know, notorious <laughs> arsonist, but you never know. It's versus being unknown. So like right. no, no press is bad press, right? Exactly. Right. You know, maybe he was just thinking that like, this will get his face on TV and some mm -hmm. director is going to see him there and be like, oh, look at this handsome man. I want to cast him as, you know, as my next lead. Right. Um, which and I wonder if it was that, and then he sort of felt that he kind of painted himself into a corner, and maybe right. that's why his story kept shifting. I uh, yeah. realized, you know, like, oh no, like they, now that I've said that I did it, they're actually going to like hold me accountable for it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, I like to think my my version of the story in my head. I want it to be that it was just a spontaneous fire, and that he wasn't. He wasn't guilty. I mean, it sounds like this guy got a lot of really bad breaks in his life. Yeah. So you don't want him to be guilty, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, right. And, you know, the whole thing where, you know, he he could never really be out with his family. Like, you know, his sister was sort of like, well, I don't know. It was weird. At the same time that she acknowledged that he was gay, she also didn't acknowledge mm -hmm. that. Like, there was, you know, I don't, it was it was a weird sort of like knowing and not knowing and you know the family definitely was not okay with with that aspect of him mm -hmm. and so yeah I mean like 
yeah, that's very sad. He's had a sad life, and you can see if you're... I mean, it didn't seem like he was estranged from his family, but, like, clearly there wasn't... You know, there were some barriers between him and his family, and you can yeah. see men wanting to look for attention and fame and notoriety elsewhere, potentially. Right. Um, I, even I wonder if by the end where, you know, he, he kind of, like, has this story, almost a storybook ending of, like, he finds this rich guy and he all of a sudden doesn't have to worry about and like did he make that yeah. up like is that like just what he told his sister maybe maybe he was still living in his car you know right like, we don't know yeah 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 but i um in i think it's chapter 29 um where they did the new forensics with bieber um guy not yeah. the singer not, Not the singer, singer. Yeah. no. Different, different Bieber. Right. Um, in my opinion, it sounds like they got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me there isn't a guy to get. But, I mean, he was talking about a, a case where um, a father was home with his three children, and um, the three children perished in a fire, and it looked like the fire was set under their beds. Right. But the forensics, you know, newer forensics show that that, didn't happen and the guy was executed yeah um so i mean they were talking about the fire um and uh um and saying that the library fire just could have been you know you know something right just I a mean, fire yeah right yeah. Just fire didn't have to be started by a human i mean that building had so many fire hazards it's you know it would be one thing if it were some brand new state-of-the-art building that was you know up to fire code and not overcrowded and but it wasn't it was old and crowded and full of very faulty wiring um, yeah i mean they said there was bad ventilation ramshackle yeah. floor floor fans and sizzling light sockets and an extremely heavy fire load right mm. yeah i mean you know Without without footage of someone holding a match to a book, it it does seem more likely that just one of those other things finally failed. Um, I mean, I think it speaks to how much the city and the community were looking for somebody to place the blame on for this horrible thing that happened. Right. Right. Even, I mean, even if it were Harry Peak or anybody who just like threw a cigarette butt in the wrong place or like it doesn't intentionally even mean that it was intentional arson. Right. It could have been accidental. Right. And that building right. again was just like the perfect place mm -hmm. to, to start a fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely that sense of like wanting some kind of like justice or closure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's easy mm -hmm. to do by just saying this person did it. Um, it's their fault. They've been punished and now everything's okay. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, also the other option, like if it was an electrical failure, for example, then the city is really the one at fault because, mm -hmm. you know, they knew the building wasn't up to fire code. Yeah. They mm -hmm. knew it was a potential hazard and they consistently failed to act. And I can right. obviously see why they wouldn't want to put that narrative forward. I mean, mm -hmm. that doesn't look good for them uh, to take the blame. But, you know, yeah, so I can see that it would be really appealing to have not only for the city to escape the blame from them, you know, themselves, but also right to give the public a sense of closure and like, I don't know, to me though, it's less alarming to think that it was 
an accidental, you know, an electrical failure or someone versus a person intentionally setting a library on a fire. Mm. Um, right. That to me is far more, far more alarming. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know, I guess like an electrical failure can happen anywhere, but, but it still seems less threatening somehow. I think that on some level there's like this human nature of like wanting to not believe that the world is chaotic and things like this happen and instead yeah. to be like no an evil person swooped right. in and did it you know yeah on some level that can be i get what you're saying but it, that can also be like reassuring for oh definitely right? yeah i can i can see it that mm. way for sure mm. um but yeah it it was really alarming to learn how how we just have no idea how fires start <laughs> like yeah yeah and how hard it is to really determine where or how right yeah that as i mean which again it makes sense like of course it's hard to determine all of the evidence has been burned up right, but, right. um but yeah that that was sort of surprising to me i feel like i assumed we had that knowledge like not we personally us but you know yeah. someone our <laughs> investigators yeah yeah um that was sort of surprising to me yeah and just to think whatever even like whatever knowledge we collectively have now about these things like you know you're talking 30 something years ago it would have been significantly less um or yeah. i mean it seems like back then they maybe felt more surety and knowing like oh mm -hmm. we know what caused this whereas now maybe you know there's a little bit more openness within that field in thinking like oh we we know less than we thought we knew right yeah right sort of realizing the limits of their own knowledge mm -hmm. um well i guess knowledge is as good a good a segue as any i'll make it work to bring us onto the two chapters talking specifically about the library from this set uh chapters 28 and 30 and looking looking back at those looking back at my notes for those i realized they they were actually kind of contrasting 28 was talking about the surprising things that orlean discovered the library had and then in chapter 30 she kind of pivoted to like the ideas that uh libraries are information and knowledge centers rather than simply storehouses of material and I didn't really realize reading it through it was only when I went and looked back at my notes that I was like, oh, that's actually not not quite a contradiction, but sort of two very different focuses or like two sides of right. the same coin. Um, yeah, because I mean, they were talking about um, in chapter 28 about the strange collections they have, you know, the restaurant menus, you know, a lot of them were donated by an ophthalmologist who is using yeah. them as a diary of his dates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then um, they had um, um, described marionettes as terrifying marionettes from the Turnabout Theater Company. Which and all um, marionettes are kind of terrifying. Right. So yeah. I wonder how terrifying were they? <laughs> These are extra terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> uh, we could uh, but we like, you know, and fruit crate labels yeah yeah which yeah, is that makes a little more sense to me because like california is the land of fruit they grow mm. a lot of fruit there true but, but, but yeah it's weird yeah and i mean i could see movie posters i mean that's 
that's kind of a given for, you know, an LA library, you would right. think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ditto they, the sheet music, specifically, or yeah. and I was like, oh, please, most libraries have some sheet music, but definitely not orchestral sheet music. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's, that that did seem more unique. Um, I mean, I, I know we have sheet music here. I'm pretty sure we don't have anything for a full orchestra. I could be wrong, but if we do, it's certainly not. I don't not, think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I feel like most of the sheet music we have is more like, you know, I'm learning the piano and I want to play fun pop songs. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we're like seventies hits for guitar. And their the uh, and their sheet music were were actually scores. You know, right. uh, you know, for each instrument, you know, to use in, you know, a concert or whatever that right. would cost. They mm. were saying you know upwards of nine hundred dollars a piece. Mm. Yeah. So. One yeah. of the funnier things that I thought that they had were um, it was the largest gathering of materials of uh, on bullfighting in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, is there American bullfighting or has there ever been? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't I, think so. I feel like no. I feel like you would definitely in California because of like the Mexican influence mm. and like you know, Mexican Americans. Maybe if there's going to be any place in the U.S. where you would have that, it would maybe be there. But yeah, I, I doubt that there's ever been any yeah. bullfighting here, but who knows, I, maybe. I kind of hope the collection is just like, you know, a hundred copies of Ferdinand the Bull. <laughs> Knowing that there's that one, that one that Hemingway classic, book too, Death yeah. in the Afternoon and Ferdinand the Bull. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, boring. for all we know, they could just have like, you know, a few, a few hundred copies of those and call it the largest bullfighting collection in the States. And frankly, who's going to dispute them? It wouldn't take uh, If anyone from Los Angeles is listening, please let us know what is in that collection. But I mean, I guess it's a good opportunity for us to talk about some of the, some of the more surprising things we have here, which I think would mostly be our library of things. Right. Um, and some of the stuff in the makerspace too, I guess, although you can't, um, borrow that, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting when we think about like, especially contrasting these two chapters, it almost seems like the kind of weird collections in that library are, speak of like, like an older image of libraries of like a collection of items or something more strategic in the line of like museums. And right. then the, the following chapter is about like, you know, does a library even need a physical space to be a library? Like, could you have a, like a, traveling donkey with wi-fi and books on it like that's still a library right yeah but then right. we're in this weird thing where we're coming back to like checking out strange items and it's not like we don't have old strange items here right. i remember like we used to jerry you'll remember this we used to have paintings that circulated yeah paintings oh, and fun. um yeah and sculpture yeah sculptures that you could check why, out why was that discontinued I think just space-wise, I think it was a thing mm -hmm. where it was like, the, the, these take up a lot of space. There was a big, almost like, you know, like, I'm trying to think, when I was younger, it's, if you'd go to like a record store and you'd look through the posters. The posters and they yeah. would, yeah. It was they like would one like, of those. like a door. And I remember once talking to yeah. a patron who said he would come in, they would go out, I think for like a month mm -hmm. and he would come in every month and get a different one and just put it on his living room wall and he would just change it every month. That's great. Yeah, great. people did yeah. that, yeah. yeah. But I think they're getting kind of ratty looking too yeah. from being knocked around in that. 
that we did have some sculptures too that were just kind of hanging around at different places that people could borrow. Mm -hmm. And, but they were getting dinged up as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, that is the thing with, I feel like with most things in the library of things, like sooner or later they break because they really weren't designed to be like carried around a lot. Yeah, like our shredder. Yeah. (laughs) Which went out like twice, right? Yeah. I think a little... A little more than that, but not much. Not much, yeah. Yeah. popular, though. I mean, you know. Yeah, I think we only had it, what, a couple of months before it broke? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was just not meant, I think, for that capacity of of shredding. And and transportation, I'm sure, was part of it. Yeah. Um, And we've got that um, that light, too, that... uh, Oh, yeah. That uh, the seasonal affective disorder light. Right. That's that's something that's different that we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got. Do we still have the guitar? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And ukuleles. Yeah, yep. we got ukuleles. We have like those uh, knitting needle kit. Mm-hmm. I think. The, yeah, knitting kit, rug hooking kit, and applique kit. Mm. And yeah. We've got we've got a record player, a CD player. And we've got things to. Um, transfer um, or convert, mm. you know, from uh, VHS to DVD and from oh, those are super yeah, popular. Um, cassette to DVD or CD. Yeah. We have like a film negative reader, right? Mm-hmm. Or a scanner, yeah. I think. Yeah. Anything like that, any kind of converting or scanning thing is just like wildly popular. Yeah. yeah. Bicycle uh, locks, a uh, bicycle pump. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, projector, projector, screen. Yeah. I think uh, it was a keyboard, a, a musical keyboard. And I say yeah. this because a while ago someone asked me and I was like, you mean like a computer keyboard? I don't think we lend that. And they're like, no, like a piano. And I was like, oh, we might lend that. <laughs> Let me say. Years ago, up in like the, on the top floor where the CDs are, we actually had like a keyboard with headphones and people could just go up there and play it. Oh, that's fun. Just kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So it's like we had all this, like when I first started, like 16, 17 years ago or whatever, we had some of these things. And then there was this phase of like, we need to get rid of those things. We don't really do that anymore. And now we're sort of circling back to like, how can we have these things? Although it's more sort of focused on lending them out and letting people borrow them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then they're talking about um, like uh, the bookmobiles mm-hmm. um, and how, uh, let's see. Um, oh, there, um, the bookmobile, I guess uh, in 1905 was the Washington County, Maryland. They had a horse drawn wagon mm-hmm. they started. And then the uh, Works Progress Administration or the WPA started the Pack Horse Librarians. Yeah. And, um, you know, to deliver books. That was in 1936 to 43. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of an interesting thing. I read The Giver of Stars by Jojo mm-hmm. Moyes uh, about the Pack Horse Librarians. And there's another book, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by yeah. uh, Kim Michelle Richardson, too, that's about the Pack Horse Librarians. And those those are both pretty recent, right? I don't know, like all of a yeah. sudden, it seems like there's interest in that again. Yeah, well, I think that the book woman of Troublesome Creek, um, I think that's been going out a lot lately. I've seen it yeah. across the desk quite often. 
Um, and they give uh, Jojo Moyes and most of her books, you, you see them going out all the time yeah. anyway. Yeah, definitely. But then, uh-huh. um, you know, and then it was like 1956. Again, they started to bring back the bookmobiles. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said the L.A. library uses um, book bikes mm. yeah. instead of like a bookmobile, um, which is kind of circling back to now we've got a book bike. Right. Which, of course, as soon as we get the book bike ready to go, we get bad weather and mm. just can't, you know, on times that we want to take it out. And now we, you know, yeah, but we've had it, had it a few places out, you know, on um, main street for the, uh, whatever it is that they have in September. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we've had it up there. We've mm-hmm. ridden it in the parade. Yeah. The, the Santa parade. And um, yeah, we had the, it at the farmer's market, farmer's markets. Yeah. We did something, yeah, there was another uh, festival or something going on in front of Old Town Hall at one point where we took it out there. Um, it's interesting because for us, it's more of like a promotional tool, almost like right. just to make like the public aware, like, oh, like think about the library and like come to the library and these are services we offer just right. because it wouldn't, I, I think we live, we're situated in a place that's so hilly and so kind of like once you get out of downtown, things get a little remote. So the idea of actually- right bringing materials to people on that versus in a city like in, a, in Los Angeles right. or something would be kind of difficult. And I guess considering like the traffic in Los Angeles, yeah, maybe that is like faster than a bookmobile. Oh, I would you think know? so. Or like more, more efficient. Although I think I remember going to a library conference a couple of years ago and I, there was a like a bookmobile program and I think it was LA County Library System. Hmm. Um, and they they had spent like some huge amount of money to get these real like state-of-the-art modern kind of mm. like bookmobile vans uh, that were going out into the communities. So I think I think the county system is different than the public library, actually. I think there's oh, like really? the city of Los Angeles public library system with all of those city branches. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a separate county of Los Angeles library. Oh, okay. Um it's it's kind of weird if you're if you're from out here, we don't really have unincorporated land out here because everything is part of a city or town but right. out west it's a lot more common for there just to be people living on unincorporated land like it's yeah. out, it's not part of a city or town it's just part of the county but people live there there are roads um so i i feel like i remember hearing that that like the la county system is more for there's a surprising number of unincorporated areas like right around los angeles um mm-hmm. for what what you know for whatever reason that have not been incorporated into los angeles or have you know not have haven't become their own municipalities um so it would make sense that the bookmobile would be for los angeles county which i think is even more sprawling than you know than the city of los angeles and maybe harder to access by bike um that makes sense yeah, it, it's interesting how yeah I feel like bookmobiles. I, I don't know that anybody in our consortium has one. I think that Beverly Beverly does in Noble, and that um, that is still active. I don't know about during the pandemic, but mm. I remember like a year before I finished library school, and I was living in Beverly at the time. They had the bookmobile librarian job come open, and I was like, man, if this were one year later, like that would be so cool. Mm. I could get a commercial <laughs> driver's license. That like surely I could do that. Yeah. So, um, 
I believe it does still operate. I remember as a kid in Beverly being very disappointed that the bookmobile did not stop at my house. I lived on a busy street. It makes perfect sense. They don't just pull over on the side of busy roads, but (laughs) I I had a friend who lived in a subdivision and the bookmobile did stop there. And I was always very jealous when that happened. (laughs) I have a memory of being a kid like in the eighties and I, it would have been in Groveland, I think that going on the bookmobile, Hmm. um, so maybe they had one back then, but it also could have been an episode of Reading Rainbow or something that's turned into like a false memory. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> Roseland is pretty small. It would surprise me if they, yeah. if they ever had a yeah. bookmobile, but yeah. you know, the o- Overdrive has a bookmobile actually. Um, mm-hmm. And they will, again, I think they're probably not doing this now because, you know, small enclosed space, but um, but in normal times they have a big bookmobile and they will bring it to your library for free if you have adequate parking and they will park it in your parking lot for a day. And, uh, you know, they have a bunch of different devices, different types of e-readers inside and people can come in, try out Libby or overdrive on different apps, get, you know, get support Mm -hmm. from overdrive staff. I did this. I had them come to a previous library where I worked. And, uh, I think the biggest value was kind of like we were saying with the book bike promotional, because people see this giant, you know, bookmobile with the overdrive in and Libby imagery on it. And I, they're like, oh, what's that? And you're like, oh hey, we lend ebooks. Did you know? Mm-hmm. And uh a lot of people didn't. I would kind of think after the pandemic that more people are aware that we have ebooks. Um yeah, because I mean our our ebook, you know, statistics went through yeah. the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but you know, it's still good for for promotion and just a fun way to you know, maybe get some people to try it out who wouldn't have right. otherwise. Right. Um, or maybe people, you know, they hear about it and they're not interested, but they know someone who is, or, you know, it comes up in conversation. Someone else finds out. Right. Um, right. I thought it was funny that um, in Beijing, they were talking about book vending machines. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wonder I, how those... I wonder how, how you those do, work. Do you swipe your uh, library card or? Yeah. I wonder yeah. how you return it too. Do you return it? And maybe mm. there's like a book drop next to it or something. I mean, I, I guess if, if they were equipped with RFID, then uh, you could have an automated return. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but yeah. Mm. I know I, um, one of the, the, uh, chapters i think it was 30 they were talking about overdrive and in the main overdrive building in uh, cleveland they have a map um on the wall electronic map and every time somebody borrows a book it'll say you know somebody borrowed a book in uh helsinki finland somebody borrowed you know a book in um you know spokane washington yeah that was kind of neat i don't know how they could keep up with that do you know what year we we got Overdrive here? I was trying to figure it out because it seemed like I I, th- I feel like it said they Overdrive started in like offering that service in like two thousand six or two thousand four, and I feel like we were probably a fairly early adopter to that. I think so. Right. I think so because um, yeah, I mean it I, it was two thousand six, I believe, mm-hmm. Overdrive started because i remember there was a six in the date 
And um, it was probably shortly after that. Because if yeah, we've had it for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, way back in the first Kindle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't always... work. Oh yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Kindles was... weren't com compatible. That's right. But it was a very convoluted process too, of like having to plug it in and like mm -hmm. transfer the file over and then sync it. I mean, it's still a little convoluted with Kindle. It's, like it's still a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because you still have to go through Amazon. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, I'm not even sure. I have I have um, an original. Um, What's the other one? The other e-reader. A Nook or a Kobo? A Nook. Yeah. Maybe the original one that you had to plug in. I'm not even sure if it still works or not. Take that have... right. Take that right to Staples or Best Buy for electronic recycling. <laughs> <laughs> That's my suggestion. They offer that for free. Or hold on to it. Maybe there'll be like tech nostalgia one day and you could sell it. It's like I, I recycled like yeah. one of my old like, you know, iPods years ago. I had a few of them. And now I've seen the people like take them apart and modify them and put mm. like solid state drives. And like you can and they don't actually I guess some of the parts for those are no longer obtainable. So it's just like a limited supply out there. So I'm like, I wish I didn't get rid of that. <laughs> so hold on to your nook. <laughs> uh, two competing options hold on to your nook but if you have one don't bring it into the library looking to get ebooks mm -hmm. on it because no, it's gonna we'll, no. we'll do our best but no one's yeah. going to enjoy that process uh, no no nooks nooks are headaches mm -hmm. yeah like just read it on your phone or your tablet it's really yeah. the way to go i um, mean if you have a nook tablet we can do that but yeah not, not the original plug-in type nook yeah then well then you get into like what is it the like adobe adobe edition Digital editions. Digital editions. oh god yeah. yeah yeah it's bad news <laughs> it's just bad news <laughs> uh yeah I'm, I'm quite happy with my uh ipad and reading yeah. on that when i need to mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot easier yeah that's I switch between that and my phone um depending on whether i'm at home or somewhere else and that's been that's been nice. That works out well. Mm. You know, yeah, I well, it's nice that you can sync both of them. Yeah, that is nice. You know, so you can pick up where you left off. Yeah. I used to be one of these people who would always have whatever book, like physical book I was reading in my purse. And, um, you know, hard on my hard on me, but also hard on the books. They don't love that. And I will say with the ebook, I've really the pandemic has brought me around to ebooks. I'm like, oh, I already have my phone. I have my book. This is great. I don't need to try to try to cram this, you know, 400 page hardback into my purse. Mm. Right. So I've come around. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of people that come in with the with the iPads and, you know, they mm. want to download books or learn how to. And they said, I'd rather have the paper book in my hand. But I always tell them, I said, well, there's a place, you know, for everything. So, mm. I mean, mm. I, I prefer to listen to books. Yeah. You know, but having a book downloaded on my iPad when I'm on a plane, you know, or a movie downloaded mm -hmm. on my iPad, you know, on a plane from Hoopla, right. you know, is a whole lot easier than trying to carry a book around. Right. You know, that extra weight in my mm -hmm. carry-on. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, I agree. I, 
yeah i do still like reading physical books i don't i don't want that option to go away but um but you know i I would say before the pandemic i was like very i would really only read an ebook if i was traveling because i didn't want to carry books and they've become much more a part of my life (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, and ditto the digital audio books i mean once i got a car that didn't have a cd player i was forced to make the switch and uh it's really much better you know they're never scratched and you don't have to mess around with switching discs so right yeah i'm i've got a book on cd in my car right now and i got to one disc that kept skipping Mm -hmm. you know or the voice was going like yeah yeah, really really fast i'm like ugh. (laughs) that's so bad when you've made it like a substantial way through a book and that Mm -hmm. happens yeah it was like disc five yeah I remember from when I used to have like a longer commute and you'd be like, you know, in your car, ready to go in the morning. And then it, like, it's just not happening that day. Yeah. It just skips or whatever. Yeah. 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 When I was, when I was in grad school in Boston, I still had a car with a CD player and I, you know, I mean, I went through a lot of audiobooks. Uh, between like that and work and everything, I was driving at least an hour pretty much every day of the week. So I went through books on cd like no one's business and at a certain point like if this cd isn't working like i have a different book in the car we'll come back to this one later um i'm not trying to sit in boston traffic without a book (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i have a question did anybody try to look up any of the books that are in listed in the beginning of the chapters i did at one point but I looked them up in the Los Angeles Public Library online catalog. And, no, uh, we have them here. Oh, I didn't do that, no. Well, I know uh, I started to in uh, chapter 28. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have in our collection 33 revolutions per minute, a history of protest songs yep. from Billie Holiday to Green Day. And then we also have Fox Tossing, the other <laughs> forgotten and dangerous sports, pastimes, and games. That's the one I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have that here. I mean, I the am. Other two, the other two for chapter 28 we didn't have, which mm. was passing through uh, groove oriented chamber music, volume three, and knitting without tears. But we do have a ton of knitting books. Yeah. We have, I would say we have a very good supply of knitting books. Um, right. So I am fun looking that up. Yeah, I am in between ebooks now. I finished my other, I finished the book I was reading yesterday and like I have an ebook on hold that should be available, you know, in the next few days. And I'm like, if I check out another ebook, I know the one I've been waiting for will immediately become available. If I check nothing out, of course, this ebook, you know, will take the full two weeks to come in. Maybe I should just borrow Fox Tossing. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Let us know how it is. We yeah. can do another whole podcast on Fox Tossing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would be into that. I I don't know that our listeners would, but you know. I just hope that somebody catches the foxes. They don't just toss them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I hope they're okay. Yeah. I mean, is it real or is it figurative? I, that's a good question. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do fox, with the animals. Fox could be, yeah, the name of a ball or something. That's yeah. Right. Although it does say dangerous sports. So that makes me think it's dangerous for the humans and the foxes involved. Yeah, if if there are animals involved. Yeah. (laughs) One of the other books I looked up, and thank goodness we don't have, is nitroglycerin and nitroglycerin (laughs) 
explosives. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We don't have that. That is probably for the best. Um, <laughs> but that's that's wild. I was listening last fall to a really good a really good book. Of course I won't be able to remember the title now, but it was about um a woman doing research on like a very early submarine that was used by the Confederate army. And, you know, there were obviously lots of explosives and she would get to parts in the book and be like, you know, there's this explosive, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to tell you what it's made of. <laughs> I'm like, do you think, I, I mean, maybe the kind of person listening to that would also want to like go and make their own explosive. Hmm. But I, I found it funny that like the, the actual recipe was redacted. <laughs> I wonder if there, there, I mean, there could be laws against like publishing those. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Who knows? Yeah. Or just like the publisher didn't want to be held liable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a good book. Too bad I don't remember what it's called, but you no. Know. <laughs> I know um, in the, so the books in chapter 30, this Bibliotheque, Why Libraries mm. Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google by John Palfrey. Mm. He was the head of Phillips Academy. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 connection. And he came and did like a little talk for the staff um, after the book came out. Um, so, yeah, a little Andover connection there. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that one we have. We have that. That Yeah, I would think so. If he came and talked here, I would think we would have his book. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then well, I think I gave up looking up some of the book, other books. Yeah. So here's a question for y'all. Um, the very last line in the book, I'll, I'll just read it here. So it says, in the checkout line, a heavy set man with three books under his arms began a jiggling, hip-wagging dance, and people stepped around him carefully on their way out the door. It, I mean, is the implication, I, I didn't really fully understand what she's getting at there. Like, is that this is maybe a person who it was threatening because he's doing a dance or I, I read that it several times and I, I, you know, and I just really didn't understand what that was, what that was, meant. Was that a callback to something else that happened in the book that I, like, I, yeah, I really, I really didn't get that. And like, yeah. I mean, was he happy that he was able to get three books from the library? <laughs> you know, was, I don't know. But then people sit around him carefully, like he, he's just—he's just happy. Yeah, he's happy he got his books. You know, it was, yeah, it's a it, very distinct line to like end the whole book with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess sort of like the rest of the book, it almost raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> yeah, because it's funny because like the previous the line right before that is the few as a the few of us here snapped our books shut and swept our belongings together and headed upstairs. Like you could almost just end the book on that. Like yeah, the, you definitely the, could. The yeah. hip-wagging dance. Strange. Yeah. I I guess to me it kind of gave me the idea that like all of these different people are coexisting in this space. Even, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think most adults would not dance in public unless they were in a specifically like dance setting. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, that's a little bit out there, but like people are just walking carefully around him. I, I took that to mean that they were taking care not to like accidentally hit him as he was dancing. Okay. Not that they were dance. right, exactly. <clears throat> um, so I kind of thought as like, you know, we're all here together, even the people who dance in public. But Yeah, well, I think, you know, once we opened up from the pandemic, I think we had a lot of patrons that really wanted to dance when they came in the library. They were so happy we were open. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. I mean in the pre-pandemic days, there were a lot of uh, like 
tweens and teens who would come and literally dance here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they were filming yeah. videos for TikTok. Which... Yeah, the roof deck was like a, a oh, good spot yeah. for that. They, they were always doing that. Yeah. Have you that... seen that once during the pandemic from tweens? Mm. So. Mm. It's interesting because the jiggling, hip-wagging dance, it, it kind of leads to like a, a bigger issue I take with the book of just like her descriptions of people I find are, and just like almost like upsetting. Like, so I'm going to, here's one that came out of this section um, where she's talking about the uh, head of Central Library, Ava Mitnick. And she says, Mitnick is gangly, but somehow manages to appear elfin with a fine future face and dewy eyes. That doesn't sound like a nice way to describe a person at all. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's trying to be I don't mean, think so. But, but she yeah, does that a lot. Like she refers to people of having like odd, like, you know, excruciatingly long arms and a small head. <laughs> Weird things yeah. like that. Like yeah. people just don't say anything. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I really need those physical descriptions to like get into the flow of what's happening. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I think they were a little little too graphic. Yeah. A little excessive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely one of the quirks of the book. I haven't I haven't read anything else by her, so I don't know if that's just like something she does throughout her books or Yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, I read her Rin Tin Tin book, um, but I guess if she's describing dogs, it wouldn't come off as so mean-spirited. <laughs> <laughs> if she called them gangly yeah. or, or whatever, but yeah, yeah, I don't remember. So I don't know. Uh, is there anything else? I think the only other thing I had that I wanted to make a note of was the fun fact that uh, there are 320,000 public libraries worldwide. I don't know how she got that statistic, but seems like a lot. Yeah, well, she, she she also said public libraries outnumber McDonald's two to one. Yeah, I remember seeing that in um that stat. I don't know at some point recently. I think it was Pew mm-hmm. Research. I don't know if it was two to one, um, but it was that there were more, which seemed shocking because there seemed to be so many McDonald's, but mm-hmm. but encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know around here, I, I think in Massachusetts, most most towns have public libraries, if not all of them. Yeah. Right. Some of those small like villages um, that, that probably have like shared libraries, but. Actually, Hamilton Wenham is the only regional library in the state. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, um, huh. So I think a lot of the small towns either don't have them or they do have a library, but it's, you know, very limited. Yeah. Like open 10 hours a week or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess certainly in America, I would believe that there's more libraries than McDonald's only because like, yeah, pretty much every town has a library and not every town has McDonald's. And I think when you combine the power of McDonald's, Burger King and Wendy's, they far outnumber libraries. Then. Yeah, that so. is probably true. <laughs> so we're just going to say fast food burger places, then we're probably losing. But McDonald's, yeah. like we're we're on the winning side. Yeah. I'll take it. Which is good. Yep. yep. Yeah. Take that. Take a victory when you can take one. Yeah. Although, you know, in Andover, we only have McDonald's. We don't have a Wendy's or a Burger King. That's true. So it's one and one. One yeah. library, one uh, fast right. food burger yeah. joint. Yeah. You can't you can't compare Dunkin' Donuts though to libraries, not not least on the New England. 
No, no, no. There's there's probably like a five to one yeah. Dunkin' Donuts to library. Yeah, I, I think there's like four in Andover itself. Yeah. I think we were looking this up the other day. Yeah, weren't I, we looking this up? I think we were. Yeah, we were. Like okay. Justin and I specifically. And I think there were three or four. Yeah. Which frankly yeah. surprised me. I kind of thought there would be more. <laughs> well, if you look at like the greater Andover area, like yeah. if you if you include like, you know, North Andover, Lawrence and right. like, Thuin, it, there's probably like 20. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even three is plenty. <laughs> yeah. But, a lot to choose from. Yeah. Uh, well... I think it's about time to wrap it up then. Um, unless there are any final thoughts, but it's been no. fun. Yeah, I think definitely uh, it was good to read through this book again. I'm glad I read it again. Um, yeah. Definitely still recommend it. Um, yeah, and this was fun to, to get together and talk about it. Yeah, and uh, I think for people who did like the book, we're going to have a sort of follow-up episode with Renata, who's one of the teen librarians uh, who has some read-alikes. So if you like kind of the style of the library book, um, I think she's going to have some episodes, uh, some suggestions in the next episode. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, that wraps up this episode of Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help. You can listen on our website at mhl.org slash podcast or listen, subscribe, and rate review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We hope you'll join us next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.